What's up? Welcome to Bow Down, the teaching ministry of Pastor Chris Tress. So we left off in verse 7 where of Song of Songs, chapter 6, where it says your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. Song of Songs, chapter 6, verse 7. The veil represents humility. The veil represents submission. The veil represents that you are under authority. When a bride comes and she's being walked down by her father, she's under the veil. That's what the veil represents. I'm under my dad's authority. And when the dad hands his daughter off to the husband, he flips up the veil and he says, I'm no longer her authority anymore. I now give my authority over to you. She is yours. It's going to be a tough day for me. Some of us dads, it may be exciting because... Let me get back my credit card. Now that's yours. <laughs> no, just kidding. It'd be a tough day. Authority, authority, authority. She's under authority. She's submissive. And probably one of the biggest issues with the church today is we do not want to be under the authority of Christ, of his lordship. We want salvation, but lordship, Lord, Lord. He is Lord, Lord over all. And it's okay, God comes into that because he knows that what? I want to do what I want to do. I want to be in charge of my life. And that's the story of all of our lives. He comes and he looks at us and he says, oh man, have I got something for you? Because he loves us. I want you to look at this section here. Let's go back to Song of Solomon, uh, chapter 6, verse 4 here. It says, you're beautiful as Terzim, my love, lovely as Jerusalem, awesome as an army of banners and highlight banners. Turn away your eyes from me, for they overwhelm me. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gideon, Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of ewes that come up from the washing them. All of them bear twins. Not one among them has lost its young, and your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate. Behind your veil. Now, why did I backtrack there? You're like, Chris, we're not going forward. We're going backwards now. Thanks for asking. Turn to Song of Songs chapter 4. Song of Songs chapter 4, just a few pages over. Let's read this. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down from the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes that have come up from the washing. All of them bear twins, and not one of them has lost its young. Your lips are like a scarlet thread, and your mouth is lovely, and your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. So you see in chapter 4, the word veil in verse 1, the word veil in verse 3, and this is the same language that's being used in chapter 6. Why? Why the repetition? Is God redundant? No, he's not redundant. He just knows that we need to be reminded. 
maybe he's looking at the bride and time has passed because it's been two chapters. And we know for us at Bowdown, two chapters is two months, right? And so time has passed since we've been in chapter four. And maybe she forgot what he said. And maybe, maybe she was acting wicked by not listening to his words. What do you mean, Chris? That's a little harsh. Thanks for asking. Let's turn to Psalm 50, verse 16, please. Psalm 50, verse 16. As always, and it's I'm a little late, we're always going to come back to Song of Songs, okay? So keep your place there. Look at what God says here for a second. Psalm 50, verse 16. But to the wicked, God says, what right have you to recite my statutes or take my covenant on your lips? Uh, By the way, It's very dangerous for those who have not given their life to Christ to take the holy covenant of God, communion of God. In fact, Scripture warns in uh, Corinthians, one of those books, you can find it at your own time, but some people get sick and they also die if they take communion wrong, okay? So this is a holy sacrament. It is a holy thing, not, not to be played around with, okay? And God says, hey, what right have you to recite my statutes or take my covenant on your lips? And then he continues on, for you hate discipline. And you cast my words behind you. This is really important, church. You can be a Christian and become the righteousness of God through the gospel. And you can have his Holy Spirit in you. But you can hate discipline and you can cast God's word behind you, meaning I don't want to hear it. I don't want to listen. I don't want that in my life. And guess what? Even though you've been declared righteous by the blood of Christ, you're acting wicked. So back to Song of Songs, please. Why is she beautiful? Why is she lovely? Because she's married to Christ. The church is married to Christ. And this is how God sees you. But just because this is how he sees you, are you acting like the wicked when you just cast his words behind you? Oh, righteous bride. I'll never forget a time where I was struggling with something. And I had an inner healing meeting. And before my inner healing appointment to go get prayer for what I was dealing with, I wanted to prepare my heart to receive. So I went in an hour early before my appointment because it's just not, I'm not showing up to the dentist. I'm going to meet with a holy God. I'm coming to the one who is a wonderful counselor and I want to make sure my heart is right. And so I got in there and I said, where do you want me to start reading God? Because there's nothing that gets your mind right than the word of God. And he led me. He led me to Psalm 40, and I read it, 41, 42, 43, 44, 45, 46, 47, 48, 49, and I got to 50, and I got to this passage, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit spoke to me, 
Chris, you're my son. I love you, but you're acting wicked because you're casting my word behind you. So I went into that inner healing room saying, hey, guys, God already told me. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to confess and repent that I've been wicked. The pastor? Yeah, the pastor. Why? Because I didn't receive his words. That was a good day. And a lot of us don't need inner healing. What we need to do is get, get, get with the word of God and go up in our Bible and say, God, give me your grace to obey it. And so maybe she was acting wicked. Why does she need to be reminded? Maybe she has doubts. Maybe because of chapter 5. What happened in chapter 5? She got a beating. She got a beating. She got beat down by the church, right? And maybe because she got beat down by the church, she was thinking that, okay, maybe God was seeing me this way in chapter 4, but he's definitely not seeing me like this anymore in chapter 6. And so, guys, we need to be reminded Jeremy, if you could put up the first C.S. Lewis quote. It says, we have to continually be, we have to be continually reminded of what we believe. Neither this belief nor any other will automatically remain alive in the mind it must be fed. Scripture affirms that. So a man thinketh what? So is he. Set your mind, Colossians, on things above. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and thanksgiving, present your requests. And then the peace of God, which transcends all our sin, will guard your heart and your mind. And then it says in verse 8 of Philippians chapter 4, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's good report, whatever is, right, lovely, worthy of praise, think on these things. Think on these things. Renew your mind. Romans chapter 12, renew your mind. Renew your mind. We have to be a church that we have to stay in God's word. We have too much learning, but we can't walk in the truth. Why? Because we're always learning. We're always learning. Next C.S. Lewis quote please. Most people don't need to be taught. They only need to be reminded. Listen, this sermon today, most of us in here don't need it. Why? Because we were here last week, and you heard me speak on Psalm 19, 9 through 11. How can a young man keep his way pure? By taking heed to your word. I've hidden your word. I've treasured your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Oh, God, please do not let me wander from your commandments. And we talked about, man, this is the truth. This is the truth. This is uh, why I need to move with intention when I see the truth. And, and his truth reigns over my feelings, my thoughts, my emotions. His truth reigns. And I got to move with intention. And while I move with intention, I don't trust in my own strength. I trust in the grace of God to come upon my life to give me the power to do what I cannot do when it comes time to do it. And how many of us spent 20 minutes in that saying, God, do this in me? Do this in me, God. How many of us spent 10 minutes in that? Oh, God, do this in me. Where's the ones that are serious? Like, oh, God, I don't want to eat again until you do this in me. Well, that's, that's a little too extra, Chris. Is it? Or does that sound like intention? 
Does that sound like passion? Does that sound like somebody who's wanting to get well? Listen, Jesus came to the crippled guy. And he says, do you want to be made well? The, real, the reality is most people do not want to be made well. I have never seen, never seen somebody that is walking in Christ that has not overcome a sin that they were dealing with when they wanted to get well. The reality is we don't want to get well. We want to stay muddy. We want to stay in the pig pen. We want to compare ourselves with others. We want to say, oh, it's God's grace. It's God's grace. It's God's grace. Yeah, his, it is his grace. It is his grace. But, but he also says, be holy as I am holy. I want you to listen to this verse, please. It's in 2 Timothy 3. He's talking about the church having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins, and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Always learning. Another class, another conference, another this, another that. Another sermon, another this, another that. We've got enough information. Enough information. What we need is transformation. We know enough in this room. Most of us are spiritually constipated. You're filled up, but nothing's coming out. Forgive me for that one. That wasn't in my notes. But it's just the reality of the church. We, we, we know so much. But we don't do it. Tommy Kiedis said this, to know and not to do is not to know. Today, we've got a baptism at 5.30 at the beach. Can you guys say 24 for me, please? Say it one more time, 24. Yeah. Stairwell 24, not 25, 24. So you're going to go straight out on 24. You're going to walk down that ramp. You're going to go to 24. Say it again. 24. <laughs> At the baptism, you know what, the bap what a baptism is? It's a reminder for the church of what has happened. Colossians 1.13, you've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Colossians 1.13. Yeah, I used to do what I want. I used to do what I please. I used to live for myself. I used to live in the realm of the enemy. Ephesians 2 talks about that, that I was led by my passions, right? And so, but now, baptism and salvation, what that's done is transferred me to the kingdom of light. And a bat, when, when, when we have that, really a baptism is a funeral, we're having a funeral today at 5.30 at the beach. Don't wear black, though. 
But you go under the water and you're saying, yeah, I used to live in darkness. I used to live this way. This is who I was. I identify with the the death and burial of Jesus. I deserve to die for my sins. But thanks be to God that when Christ died, I died, Colossians 3.3, and my life is now hidden with God in him. And so I, I died. I'm crucified with Christ. I no longer live. But then the resurrection happens. I'm raised to new life. And now I'm going to forever walk in the kingdom of life after my king. I don't want to be king anymore because when I tried that, I failed. And so that's what baptism is. If you got baptized to join a church, listen, you may want to come in the water today. But only come in the water if you realize, man, I need to die. I need to die. And I want to walk in my resurrected king's life. I need his lordship. I need his leadership. I want to surrender my life to him. And that's what baptism represents. And baptism is important because it reminds us. It reminds us. What about communion? There's another reminder where Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And so go ahead and turn to Luke, please. Luke chapter 22, and we're going to start off in verse 15. Communion is a reminder. We need to be reminded. It's why in Song of Songs, there's repetition that's happening because God can say something, but yet we don't believe it. 1 John 4, 8 says, God is love. But because we haven't meditated on that, we do not believe it. We don't walk like it if we don't believe it. And so if you don't believe God is love, man, 1 John 4, 8, and then also uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 4 through 8, so you can understand what love is because we have a skewed view of love. And when you put those two things together, God is patient and he's kind and he doesn't keep records of wrong. He is love. He is love. He always hopes. He always believes the best. His love never fails. Man, God, help me to believe that you are love. And so here, Jesus is, he's doing communion. And and look, in verse 15, he says, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. This is why we do the Passover, by the way, at church. Not because we have to, because of legalism, but because Jesus did it. It's probably a good policy. That we should do the things that Jesus did. And so Jesus celebrated the Passover with his disciples. Verse 16, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes And then he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We need to be reminded. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. Verse 20, And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, this is the cup poured out for you, This is the new covenant in my blood. When we do that, when we celebrate that, we're celebrating the covenant that Christ became 
where he was broken for us. His body was broken for us. His blood was shed for us. Why? Because we can't keep his commandments. We can't keep his laws. The Old Testament would be better written if it said Old Covenant. The Old Covenant was, hey, if you do this, then I will do this. If you don't do this, this will happen. So obedience equals blessing. Disobedience equals cursing. That's the Old Covenant. The New Covenant is this. I can't obey anything. And so I trust in Christ's obedience his broken body and his blood, he became the covenant for me. And when I stand in him, nothing's impossible. When I abide in him, I'm going to bear fruit. And so my dependence is not on my performance. My dependence is on his performance and him living his life through me. The word covenant means to come together or to agree. The Hebrew word is berith, which means to bind to or a binding obligation. Think of glue. That's what covenant means, to glue together, to bind together. It's an unbreakable bond. And so a covenant is an unbreakable obligation between two parties. It's based on unconditional love. It's sealed by blood and a sacred oath. It creates a relationship in which each party is bound by specific undertakings on each other's behalf. The parties to the covenant place themselves under penalty of divine retribution, which is why, by the way, at weddings we say, until death do us part. If they avoid that undertaking... This is a covenant that could only be broken by death. And so a covenant is the ultimate expression of committed love and trust that was made to define, confirm, and establish this relationship. When Jesus was teaching his disciples for three years, he was giving them the terms of this new covenant, covenant terms. So we have laid out in the four Gospels covenant terms from Jesus, what we're supposed to do and what he is supposed to do. Promises. Um, Saying yes to this covenant that Christ made is saying yes to the terms that he laid out. He's promised he's never going to leave us or forsake us. He's promised that nothing will snatch us out of his hand. He's promised to give you the Holy Spirit. He's promised to give you his authority. He's promised to give you eternal life. Through this covenant, we get all these things. And when we hear how great this covenant is, we say, yeah, sign me up for that. And we also have a reality and a responsibility for this covenant. That God, you've got to do this in me. And so if, 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 if I was to, if I'm going to take the elements now, there's an aspect for my, my walk and my life before the Lord that I'm taking this, understanding that this is his body that's broken for me. This is his blood that's shed for me. And yeah, I want to remember, but I just don't want to remember in a flippant way. I want to receive all of his promises 
that he's never going to leave me or forsake me. Help me to remember that, that you're with me always. Help me to not talk about you like you're not in the room, Jesus. I receive all these promises, but also, also my response is I acknowledge that apart from you, I can do nothing. I acknowledge my sin and my shame and my depravity that I'm poor in the spirit. I renounce, man, I don't want to seek my kingdom first anymore. I want to seek your kingdom first anymore, first from now on. So God, have your way through me. I don't want to do anything in my name anymore because I'm in the covenant. I want to do everything in the name that is above every name. I want to do everything, whatever I do in word or in deed, as unto the Lord in the name of Jesus. Today, if somebody gets baptized today in the water, listen, it's not me who's baptizing you or somebody else who's baptizing you. It is Christ who's baptizing you because we're baptizing you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It is a holy moment because I don't want to do anything in my name anymore. I desire to give up my authority, Jesus. I don't, I relinquish my rights. Matthew 27 says, all authority has been given to me. So you want to give me your authority? Oh God, I don't want to use my authority of control. I want to give up control so I can walk in your authority. And so the covenant is an exchange. It's an exchange. I want your life to permeate me, Jesus. I want your, your life like, like leaven working through a whole loaf of bread. Jesus, I don't want my life anymore. I want to abide in you. I want to walk. Like, that's communion. It's not just a ritual. It is a great exchange. It is a celebration of a covenant that cannot be broken, can never be broken. And so, Jesus, I thank you for your body that's broken for me. You are whipped, you are beaten, you laid your body out. May I lay mine out. May I lay my mind out. May I lay mine out for the church. May, my, may I lay my life, may I give my back to those who are gossiping me and hurting me and talking about, may I just give my back to them, God. May I lay my life down for my wife and for my kids. May I love my enemies, God, broken body. May I be a broken and humble person where I don't get offended anymore. Oh, Jesus, you are the humble king that said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Help me to be like you. And as I take this blood, which, this, this, this drink, which represents your blood, the blood of the new covenant, I do it remembering that I am bought with a price, that my life is no longer my own, that I don't have any rights anymore. My life is yours, and I want your life in me. Jesus, come, have your way. In Jesus' name. Do it, God. Help me to deny myself, to embrace my cross, and just follow you from now on. Like, guys, if we got people saying these things to our king as we're celebrating communion, guess what? We're going to have revival. We don't because it's just a ritual. It's just a ritual. 
It's just something that we do. Baptism, just something that we do. It's just, I got to do it to join the church. I got I to gotta do it because of this. And we lose the realities in the ritual. So why am I speaking on baptism? Why am I speaking on communion? Because we need to be reminded of what we're doing. We need to be reminded about what this thing is all about. And she needed to be reminded. She needed to be reminded again and again. Song of Songs, chapter 6, verse 8. There are 60 queens and 80 concubines, virgins without number. This could represent the church. This could represent where the church is at times. Not in their identity, because your identity comes from the cross of Christ, but in your movement. That Some of us act like we're a concubine and we're not really married to Jesus. And some of us act like queens. And some of us are desiring to be pure virgins as unto the Lord. I'm not talking about physical right now. I'm talking about spiritually. Lord, I do not want to touch any unclean thing. I want to be pure for you. And so this passage here could represent the church collectively. Which one are you? But here's what he says. My dove. My dove, my perfect one. You are the only one. You might want to highlight that. Because of Christ's blood, because of the cross, because of the co- covenant, he sees you as his dove, his perfect one, the only one, the only one of her mother, pure who bore her. Young women saw her and they called her blessed. The queens and the concubines also, they praise her. Again, the, the, the bride of Christ is one collectively. It's the universal church But understand within the church, within the people of God, God looks and he says, man, that is David and he is a man after my own heart. God looks at Job and says, man, he is righteous and there's no one like him. God looks at Noah and says, man, this is a righteous man among the people of the earth. God looks in here today and he says, wow. This is my beloved. It's not content with just going through the motion and taking my cross and my blood for granted, just waiting to go to heaven when they die. But they really want to be all in, and they're fully surrendered. There's no one like, there's no one like, there's no one like. God told Satan, have you seen Job? There's no one like him. As you stand in Christ, as you stand in your salvation, understand God is looking at you like this. The question is, are you walking it out as he sees you? I want you to turn to Philippians 2.19, please. Somebody... Uh, two weeks ago asked me, what are your biggest needs in the church? And let me tell you what they are, and this is what they're always going to be. It's people, 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 people. It's people that are laborers, laborers that have 
shaken off the shackles. They've, they've obeyed Hebrews where it says, throw off the sin and the weight that entangles and run, fixing your eyes on Jesus. They're embracing the cross like Jesus did because of the joy set before them. I will do whatever. I'll serve wherever. It's always people. It's people not understanding the character and nature of God and not walking in their identity as Christians. It's always the greatest need of the church. The disciples, where are they at? Where are they at? It's always the greatest need. It always will be. And it was the greatest need for Paul as well. Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. He's like, I hope to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered of news of you. For I have no one like him. You might want to highlight that. I have nobody like him. Nobody at all is like him. Again, my dove, my only one, my perfect one. Paul is singling out, out of all the believers, that's rolling with him. He has nobody like Tim Boese. In fact, the two last books that he wrote before he died were written to Timothy, his beloved son, his beloved son in the faith. It wasn't his real son. It was his beloved son. And Timothy was a serious disciple. How do you know that? Acts chapter 16, Paul has Timothy circumcised. Ouch. Hey, if that was part of the the plan of uh, discipleship, fellas, you know what I'm talking about. So I don't know if I'm signing up for that discipleship. Keep in mind, it's not necessary. How do we know it's not necessary? The book of Galatians. You don't need to be circumcised to be saved. So Paul had his disciples circumcised? Even though it didn't need to happen, but he did it just to advance the gospel? Wow, I have no one like him. You're right. (laughs) Can I get a witness, fellas? And I always wonder how they knew, but anyway, let's stay to the text. I have no one like him who is genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests. Ooh, Timothy could care less about his life. He was concerned with others more than himself. It's the issue in the church. It's the issue. Paul didn't have anyone like. See, if we could see Timothy, right? My dove, my perfect one, my only one. There was something special about Timothy because he didn't live for himself. He lived for others. He lived for the kingdom of God first. And then it says this, for verse 21, for they all seek their own interest, but what? Not those of Jesus Christ. Listen, if Christ is in you, it's not about your own interests anymore. But you know Timothy's proven worth, verse 22. As a son with a father, he served with me in the gospel. Man, Jeremy, if you throw up JJ's picture, we just uh, onboarded, uh, it was 20-something years ago. So right next to Colleen, he's actually shorter than Colleen. He's bigger than her now, but that's JJ. He was in my wedding 20 years ago, and we just onboarded him to be an elder last week. And, and, and I would look at J.J., and, and I would say, 
you know, man, I, I, I've, got, I've got nobody like JJ. I've got nobody like a JJ who, who's been with me for so long that has just lived his life, not for himself, but for others. And the sad reality, the sad reality, right, is that that should be common, not uncommon. It should be common, not uncommon. So pray, Lord, am I, am I, am I a person that, that, that is your dove, is your perfect one, is your only one? Am I that person that, that is all about me and my life, or do I, do I really put others as more important than myself? And allow the Holy Spirit just to reveal truth to you. God wants to call you into who you are in Christ, but there has to come a pl- time and place where you say, man, I want to be set apart for you, God. Let's go back to Song of Songs, verse 10. It says, who is this who looks down like the dawn? Chapter 6, verse 10. And I want you to put Proverbs 4.18 there, please. Beautiful is the moon, Psalm Psalm 89.37. As bright as the sun, Judges 5.31. As awesome as an army with banners. Like the dawn. You see that phrase, like the dawn? Dawn brings hope as the morning light arises. Lamentations tells us that his mercies are new every morning. Sorrow may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And he's looking at her and he says, you are like the dawn. The reason why I had you jot down Proverbs 4.18 was this. It says, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. As Christ's righteousness takes more and more ground in your life, you are going to shine brighter and brighter like the dawn. You're like the dawn. And this is what he's saying about his dove, his perfect one. And then he goes on to talk about the moon, as beautiful as the moon. Psalm 89, 37 says, like the moon, it shall be established forever, a faithful witness in the sky. The moon reflects the glory of the sun. It shines off the moon. And so we are to be people that shine like that, that shine like that. I want you to look at bright as the sun, Judges 5, 31. It says, let all your enemies perish, O Lord. But let those who love him be like the sun when it comes out in full strength. And so we're to be like the sun. How do we do that? By getting out of the way and allowing Christ to live his life through you. This is what our king is saying over us because he's speaking to us even though we might not be there yet. This is where I see you. This is what you are. This is who you are. And so you have to believe. And as you believe, this is who I am. I'm like the dawn. I'm like the moon reflecting the glory of the sun, right? I, 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 am, I am like the, the, the sun shining forth. Like I'm coming into who God has created me to be. And this is where my whole life is now. And then it says, as awesome, another translation says, as terrifying as an army 
of banners. Now, this is the second time army of banners is used. And so army of banners, well, what does that mean? Here's what it means. It says an, the army with banners is a victorious army. Do you realize that you have the victory? You're not trying to get the victory, Christian. You already have the victory. You have won as you stand in Christ. We don't fight from a place where we're trying to gain victory. We already have it. The issue is we don't believe we have it. When armies returned, they would, they would march down the streets with banners. And the victorious army would go out with their banners They would lead the defeated king in chains behind them in a great military procession. Then the prisoners followed their captive kings in chains, and they marched down the street. A defeated army lost its banners. Therefore, they never came home to march in a parade with banners. An army with banners also speaks of divine order. Armies march under rank. There's divine order under Christ's authority. His banner over me is what? It's love. I want to stay under that. I want to share a video with you as we we close. Because I think it's... Go ahead, Jeremy. I grew up in Guatemala, and I was born in a household of uh, just one mother and a couple siblings. We actually were in a single household where our floors were dirt, and we all shared one bed to sleep, and we had one light bulb of electricity. During those couple years, I remember um, really just going with my mother on the streets and begging, kind of just hopefully trying to make $5 a day, as the area that I was really raised in was one of the most dangerous areas in the country. It was very gang-infested, and I just... Obviously didn't know that at the time, but just that was life to me, introduction to life of the first five years. So eventually my mom actually got really sick with asthma or bronchitis, and she was afraid that she was going to die. So what she ended up doing was really putting my sister and I in an orphanage um, that would take care of us in the meantime. During that time, there were some complications as well with the orphanage when uh, I would have to go sent back home just because of like, custody care and just how all that worked back then. And during that time, when I would go back, I would be just kind of going back to the same lifestyle of not eating, maybe eating one meal a day, um, coming back very sick. So during that time that I was in the orphanage, a missionary family actually moved down from Kentucky. And at the time, they they have a whole story themselves, but really God challenged them to move everything from their lifestyle to their choices to go be missionaries in Guatemala. And they sold everything and met me, met... Their mission really was just to help that orphanage. And unknown to me at that time, I would actually get connected with them because when I would go back to my mother, I would come back and tell them, hey, I was you know, hungry, I was tired, I was sick. The mom of that family really was broken over that. So eventually what ended up happening was my, the missionary family took me in. So the next two and a half years, I was in that household. It was one of the best years ever. I was being fed every day. I, was, I saw what you know, a family was like. I didn't know they were Christian at the time, but I could just see the love and also just the care that they had for me. And I started learning English and just being put in school, so it's got into the education system. 
So really those, um, when they took me in and it was very formative for me and just being able to understand there's more to life than begging on the street and not being fed and, not, and just being hungry. And eventually what ended up happening was my mother, she kind of departed from me and she really didn't, like during those years, she didn't really contact me and just being able to reach out. And my parents, uh, my family at the time eventually just like always told her, hey, you're, well, you're always welcome to visit, but she never did. So it got to the point in 2009 when the recession hit. Um, it also hit you know, other parts of the world as well as the US. Recession came and people started stop supporting. And it was very hard for the family to be able to be in the country of Guatemala. They had a very difficult choice to make because they couldn't financially be in Guatemala, but they also couldn't leave me back you know, by myself because my mom didn't want me and the orphanage didn't want to take me in again. So they were in a very difficult situation where adoption was the, in the conversation. So what the government ended up doing was they said, we need to separate you guys for a couple weeks. So two and a half weeks go by or three, and then they go back to the government agencies and they tell them another three weeks. Okay, so another three weeks go by, another three weeks. And that process keeps on going for two and a half years. And it was very difficult. I felt like as a child, you're, I've moved around a lot from orphanage to biological parents to guardians um, in another orphanage. So I honestly didn't know stability and being not knowing what was happening on the other side of the adoption process, I felt like my parents, my new family that I called family left me. I was scared, but also confident that the process would happen. But eventually, you know, they ended up adopting me after those two and a half years. So for the next couple of years after adoption, our ministry really grew. We ended up hosting teams and were able to just uh, do short-term mission trips for people throughout the country in the U.S. So we stayed back and it was an awesome environment, got to, you know, really see ministry first up and firsthand and seeing it in the family as well. So I really drived into me the uh, foundation of, I would think, just how I look at life because I grew up, I lived in poverty, I know what it's like, but I'm also able to help. We also were able to help the people who were in poverty to build houses for them, do humanitarian projects and really share the gospel because, you know, at the end of the day, life is life, but the soul is the goal. Moved here in 2019, was able to enjoy, you know, college, was able to do leadership, was able to meet friends, was able to do life on my own to an extent. During the years of being in ministry in Guatemala and PBA, I was still dealing with a deep sin that not a lot of people talk about. Um, I was in 10 plus years of watching pornography. And it was very hard to talk about it because, I mean, the enemy loves to hide that and loves to shame us with it especially in my shoes where I was in leadership and I was able to minister and you know be the guy that couldn't mess up. Mm -hmm. You hear that typically, but for me, I really felt like it was just a tough, tough uh, conversation to have. I eventually got in a relationship um, with someone during my sophomore year and it was great, it was awesome, and I enjoyed it. But the thing was, I was still deep in pornography. So it was very tough to tell her I love her and be with her and then the next day just please myself when I wanted to. Eventually got to a breaking point where I remember, you know, finished watching pornography and then I just felt like such a weight of conviction, but also grace hit me out of nowhere. It was also very scary because I've never really felt that before. The verse that really inspired me was James 5.16, you know, confess your sins to one another and you will be healed. Um, and I, I remember just like putting that forefront because what I'm doing now is opening up the roots that have been part of me for the last 10 years. And eventually, you know, 
those letters went out to mentors and friends, and I was able to really fight this issue that had been with me for a long time. After that night, I wish I could say that that was the last time I watched pornography, and it wasn't. But what changed was I had resources and friends and mentors to really pour into me and challenge me. I had installed Covenant Eyes on my phone and iPad and um, computer. When I fell short, I could confess to my brothers, I'm like, hey, I, this, is, this, is, this is happening. I can say confidently now, you know, it's been all coming up on a year since I haven't watched pornography. So as I look at my life, I feel like the two pillars of my life are an anchor to where, what I was, who I eventually could have become in my life back home, could have been a gang member if I even survived past 10. Um, and that holds me true to who I am, seeing that, you know, I'm here in West Palm Beach, um, a very beautiful area, and but never losing sight of that and never losing of sight of the people that still need help and are still living in that. And that anchor also goes into what I do in life. I, my life isn't about chasing the next promotion, chasing the next big thing. It's about just being content with what I am now and who he's called me to be, whether it's thousands of dollars, millions of dollars, zero dollars doesn't matter because I've lived with nothing before. So that found that that's the foundation to who I am today. Amen. I saw Kevin here this morning. Where are you, Kev? Stand up. Thank you. Thank you, buddy. Yeah. Kevin is an awesome, awesome young man. And it takes great humility to be able to just share things like that. And uh, listen, church, because of Colossians chapter 2 and the cross, uh, shame has been taken away. This will not be a church that operates out of shame because seven out of ten men in the church struggle with a secret porn addiction, and shame keeps you bound. And this is why I wanted to end with that story. He's been free for a year. I've been free for 20 years. 20 years from porn, self-pleasure. This is common in the kingdom. It's common. It's normal. It's Christian normal. It's not abnormal. It's normal. I want to close with this because you, church, and you, young men, you're awesome as an army with banners. Stay under the banner of the king, and you will not stumble or fall. You will not. You will not. I guarantee you, I guarantee you this. If you really believe what is written, you, you won't go back again. Turn to Galatians 5, please. If you believe what's written, you'll never do it again. Yeah, you'll never do it again. I don't care if a psychologist or psychiatrist told you you're addicted. No, if, if Christ has set you free, you're free. You just have to believe that. And listen, if Christ is in you, he's in you, and you believe that he's in you, and you live like he's in you, and you ask him, hey, Jesus, I know you're in me. Should I get on this pornographic website? What do you think he's going to say? See, the thing is, we don't do that, and we don't believe that. We don't believe that. The issue, it's not you, it, it, it's the reality, do we believe what has been written? And we are supposed to be a victorious army, an army with banners, walking in the freedom that Christ has set us free, Galatians 5.1. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. If you're in Christ, you're free. 
Say, I'm free. I'm free. You are not addicted. You are free in the name of Jesus. You're free. But then it says, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Oh, God, help me not to go back like a dog to its vomit. See, I guarantee you, if I followed you around for a month, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, as Pastor Chris, as your accountability partner, you would be free from porn for a month. Hey, Pastor Chris, can I get on some porn now? I'm feeling a little depressed. No, no, you're not. You're not going to do that. Give me your phone. Let me smack you. Stop asking that, because that's not holy. And if I went with you everywhere, do you think your addiction would take over you? No, bro. And so the reality is, Jesus is the one who said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. But we don't believe that, and we don't walk in that. And we, look, look, go to, down to Galatians 5.16. It says, walk in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in you. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. When you gratify the desires of the flesh, you don't want the Holy Spirit. That's plain and simple. You love yourself more than you love the ways of God. And you're taking that arm, that banner, that is victory, and you're saying, no, nah, I don't want it on me. I want you to go down to 17. The desires of the flesh, they're against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. They're opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are Evident, sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, envy, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Any questions about that? It's pretty clear. If you continue to practice these things, whew, but, thank God for the but right there. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Self-control put mastery. Put mastery, because that's what it means. Christians say this all the time. I just don't have self-control in that area. Well, if you don't have self-control, then you don't have the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is self-control. You just don't want to use it. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Crucified the flesh? Those who belong to Christ, it's my responsibility to crucify the flesh. Well, wait a minute. What about Galatians 2.20? Well, 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. But Christ lives in me and the life I live, I live by faith in the one who gave himself up for me. That is a passive verb, meaning you didn't have anything to do with that. He died for you on the cross. He did that. But it just doesn't stop at chapter 2, verse 20. It goes to 524, and that is an active present, meaning that I have a responsibility to crucify my flesh. 
Justification, 2.20. Sanctification, 5.24. The issue with the church is we don't want to crucify our flesh. And we're supposed to be this victorious army, guys. Walking in victory. This is who we are. This is who we are. This is what our king has done. Worship team, come on up. The altars are going to are open. Our prayer partners are going to come up here for those that need prayer, please come. Father, we just bow before you and we thank you, God, for what you have done on the cross 2,000 years ago where you have set us free. You've set us free. You've set us free. You've put a banner over us that is love. You put a victorious banner. And so we, we are called to be this army that walks in victory. We are called to be a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. We are called to shine as the light of the world. But God, the reality is we love ourselves more than we love you. We're led by our passions. Because we don't want to repent. We don't want to do what's necessary. We don't want to turn from our sin. So, God, I pray for your grace today to be poured out in this place. That there would be true repentance, God. And that true repentance, God, may it build up some, some zeal and some passion, a willingness, God, to, 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 to go into to a time where, oh, God, do in me what I cannot do in myself. Help me to love you more than I love myself. God, please change me. I pray for true brokenness, God, so we can walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. As children of the King, God, be glorified, I pray. Be glorified, I pray. Have your way in this place today, God. In Jesus' name. Thanks for visiting us today. Make sure to check us out online at www.bowdownchurch.com.